but God helping us. Let's visit the 8th chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Rome one more time. The last five verses, verses 35 through 39, will be the focus of our attention. Let's read them. Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, that would be for God's sake, we are being killed all the day long. This is speaking of Christians. We are being killed all the day long. It was estimated that upwards of 200,000 of our brothers and sisters in the Lord may lose their life in the next 365 days for the sake of Christ. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look, I think it's fairly obvious for everyone to see that a large part of these five verses is made up of two lists of things that Paul is confident can never separate us from the love of Christ. He lists things like tribulation, distress, all the way to height and depth and anything else in all creation. But look, let's do this. Let's take these two lists out for just a second. Not that they're unimportant, but just for the sake of really boiling this down to the most basic elements. If we take the two lists out, it reads something like this. Now listen to it. Just listen to me. Don't try to follow it because I'm tearing parts out here. But if we take the two lists out, it reads something like this. Listen if you hear a theme here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall anything? No. In all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, can you feel anything here? Question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall anything? Answer. No. In all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And then finally, a reaffirmation of this answer. Paul, are you really sure about this? I am sure, or I am convinced, I am persuaded that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you see what Paul's agenda is here? Christian, look. 
I know this about you. If you have come to Jesus Christ, casting all on Him, laying down your rebellion, and you're in submission to Him, and you're looking to Him in faith, I know this. God has promised you that you're going to go through many tribulations. And I know exactly what happens in the middle of tribulations. You suffer. And when you suffer, you know what happens? You know what happens. You begin to wonder, Lord, why are you doing this to me? You begin to feel awful alone. Suffering can make people feel really alone. You ever been there? You know what Paul's agenda is here? His purpose is to take God's love for you and burn it into the innermost consciousness of your heart. Paul well knows. He knows. All these things I've been talking about today, you've never seen them with your eye. He knows you've never seen Christ. He knows that you don't see Christ sitting at the right hand of His Father right now. You don't see these things. Come on! Your, your eyes are we're so often we're taken up with stuff. We're taken up with the yellow walls. We're taken up with the building across the street. But we don't see it. Isn't that what Peter says? He speaks about Christ as Him that we have not seen, yet we love Him. But it's true. We haven't seen Him. And I'll tell you what, when you get in the midst of the fires, you'd like to see Him. You would. But Paul knows you don't. And so he comes along. He knows this. You never saw Christ die on the cross for you. You never saw Him suffer your hell for you. You never saw any of that. But He wants you to feel this nevertheless. He knows there's a vast reality that we oftentimes cannot sense. We do not always feel. There is an intense love that we do not always appreciate. But brethren, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And He's appealing to that. You know what Paul knows? He knows that God's true children have been given the Spirit of God. Same one that blows about, that comes in, He causes men to be born again. When a man is born again, that Spirit of God indwells that person forevermore. And Paul realizes this. It is through the Word of God, Spirit of God taking the Word of God, energizing it in the lives of God's people. You know what Paul trusted? That as he wrote to Roman Christians 2,000 years ago, that through his Word, God would use that to let those Christians in Rome know and to let those Christians in San Antonio today know that there is indeed a love that though they may not feel it, though they may not sense it, though they may not be able to grasp it or see it with these human eyes, He wants you by faith to live on this, to believe this, to walk in this truth. Unseen Christ. He's there. He's real. He works for us. He protects us. He upholds us. In unseen ways, with unseen bands of inseparable love. I'll tell you what Paul is not doing here. He's not on some health, wealth, prosperity kick. Look, I'll tell you this. Sir, I'll tell you this. Anyone else in this room, I'll tell you this. You come in here, you're seeking for something. If you're looking for Christ, I'll tell you this. 
The Bible never promises if you come to Christ, everything's going to get better in this life. Never is that promised. He's on no health, wealth, prosperity kick trying to make you feel that Christ loves you when the weather's fine, when the bills are paid, and when the money's in the bank account. He's stressing Christ's love for you for the Christian when the Christian is confronted by the worst things in life. Every one of you, look, everyone in this room, you are going to die. Now I want you just to think about that. And you say, yeah, yeah, I know, I, we all die. No. You are going to die. Have you ever seen anybody die? I saw my aunt die. Dying. I saw my dad dying. I saw my stepdad die. Let me tell you this about death. Don't think in all your health and beauty. You're just going to exit. Now that can happen. You could get hit by a car. But typically, at the end of your life, there's tubes and there's pain and the cancer's eating you up on the inside. Or you've been in a car wreck and you're sitting or lying on a bed and your body is broken, you are going to go through some type of sickness, disease, or calamity that is going to end your life. Life does not leave the human typically in nice, painless, effortless manner. I've seen people die. You've seen people die. Go into a nursing home. Go into hospitals. There's pain. There's wretchedness. There's suffering. And there's misery. And we are all headed down that path. You can't get away from it. There is suffering coming in your life. And I'll tell you this, if you're a child of God, by God's Word, you are promised many, not a few, you are promised many tribulations. Tribulation. I understand it comes from some kind of Latin word, tribulum. They had some instrument that thrust the grain with Iron teeth on the bottom of it. It's that kind of thing. You are going to be raked by the iron teeth of suffering and calamity and difficulty in your lives. Christian, it's a reality. It's something we don't want to pretend. You know what's coming? Am I trying to scare you? No, I'm not. I'm trying to be realistic. Which is exactly what Paul's doing here when he mentions danger and distress and tribulation and being slaughtered. He's not trying to scare anyone. Just the opposite. He's seeking to prepare God's people so that when the great difficulties in life come, you won't give up. You won't fall into despair. You won't throw in the towel and hit for the door. Look. We can get to the place. And we do. Paul knows he needs to hit this thing and hit it hard. Because you guys, you guys hear right now. And you hear this and oh, it's, it's nice. But wait, when you're in the middle of the suffering, you've got a lot of young people, but I'll tell you this, you get married 
you have a family, and one of your children all of a sudden gets sick and dies. That phone call comes, and that father you love so much just had a heart attack and is gone. And suddenly you find out your daughter is pregnant. You know, what's going to happen then? What's going to happen when all of a sudden you're suffering something at work and accusations are coming against you? Suddenly you find yourself in a situation where you're being lied about. You find yourself in a situation where family members won't speak to you. You're an outcast. You're in the midst of a trial. I'll guarantee God knows exactly where to put us in ways that will break your pride. You want to know one of the most painful experiences the Christian suffers is being dealt a blow that breaks their pride. It is like tearing up a deep-rooted tree with the roots entwined around your heart, and as it's pulled out, it pulls out part of you. And it hurts, and it's painful, and it'll crush you, and it'll rip you, and it will tear you. And in that moment, you'll say, God, why? Why are you doing this to me? I thought I was your child. And what He wants you to hear right now is yes, but this is exactly what I do to my children. When you get in this place, don't think if the God of Christianity is like this, I'm out of here! I'm going somewhere else! Paul wants you to feel, no! No! There is an unseen Christ in this that is making you more than conquerors. Don't run! Don't flee! There is one who makes you more than conquerors through Him who loved you. All these things are working together for your good. God is for you. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't look like it. You can't see it. But He's for you. You are specific, special objects of God's love. He's giving you the best of the best. But sometimes in our distorted perception of things, we see it to be the worst of the worst. And Paul wants to drive this home and drive this home and drive this home. Look, it's in all these things you are more than conquerors. Not skirting these things. It's in them. And that's where His love for you shines. These things are for your good. They put you in a place where you stop trusting yourself and you stop trusting people and you get desperate about your need for God. No Christian, true child of God that has ever come through difficulties has ever regretted it. It has only and always made them better. The Apostle wants you to remember, folks, in the midst of the trial, who you are and what God is doing for you. So when you're there, you're sitting next to the guy on the airplane and he asks you all about yourself. Paul is not wanting you to cheaply and primarily be thinking, well, I'm a student, I'm a programmer, I'm a homemaker, I'm a carpenter. 
You see, he wants you elated with this fact and this reality. You are one of God's loved ones. I mean, brethren, can you possibly think of anything more noble or grand or honored or exalted, more glorious title in all of heaven and earth than the title Beloved? Romans 9.25, those who are not my people, I will call my people. Her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. Beloved means the objects of God's love. It doesn't get any better than that. To be an object of God's and Christ's inseparable love is the highest description. It doesn't get higher than that. When someone asks who you are or what you do, you alone, Christian, of all people on the face of this earth have the right and the honor to respond to that question, who are you, with I am one of God's loved ones. That's who I am. And what do I do? I spend my time being loved by Him. You know, you may think that sounds crazy to tell somebody, but I'm telling you, what frivolous thing in this world are you going to even dare compare with that? But I know some of you here are on the outside looking in. You've never surrendered to Christ. You know what? If you have never surrendered to Christ, you say, surrender, what does that mean? That means you stop fighting against Him. Say, I don't fight against Him. Listen, the Christ of the Scriptures demands that you lay down everything. He demands that you submit yourself entirely to Him. Not to some figment of your imagination. He demands that you submit to Him. Now, He's gracious and He's good. Submission to Him is not hard. His yoke is easy. But those are His conditions. You come to Him only on His conditions. His conditions full surrender. You lay it all down. You forsake all that you have. You don't hold back. What does that mean? It means you resign yourself to live your life the way He wants you to live it and to do with your things what He wants you to do with your things. It means you go to God's Word and what it says there, that's how you live your life in the power of God and by His grace, you live in that Word. You do what He says. You follow His path. He bids you to come after Him. That's what it's all about. And if you have not surrendered, you are on the outside looking into all this. You are not the special objects of God's love and God's favor. And you know what? I want you to feel left out. Because you are out. I'm not saying I want you to stay out. But I want you to feel for certain where you are. Let's shoot straight here. I heard John McCain say the other night that we are all children of God. And we are all Americans. Now, that's a nice patriotic statement. The only problem with it is, it isn't true. Paul is not talking about all men here. So we should ask the question, who are these choice people who are more than conquerors through Christ who loves them? Or you know what? Maybe rather, we should ask the question, 
where are these people? Because in these five verses, Paul doesn't so much as tell us who these people are as much as he tells us where they are. Where are they? Where is this place that God's people hide? Right at the end of verse 39, Paul calls it in Christ Jesus our Lord. And to be in that place is to be in the only place where you are inseparably in the place of God's love. The love of God is being poured like some great spiritual fountain gushing down with the fullness of intensity breaking in one rushing torrent after another upon all those only who are found right in this place in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't walk to this place. You can't fly to this place because it's not a physical place in this world. It's a spiritual place. And the only way to enter this place is by faith. Hear what Paul says to the Galatians. 3.26 In Christ Jesus, there's our place, you are all sons of God. He doesn't say you're all sons of God if you're Americans. He says you're all sons of God if you're in that place, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Absolutely no one is in the place of being in Christ Jesus our Lord who does not have faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does that mean? It's like this. You consider what Jesus Christ did for sinners and is doing for sinners. What did He do? Look at verse 34. He died. He took the punishment for sinners. He was also raised from the dead. Why? To show you and convince you that He did not die like all other men. He came out of the grave to show you that He's conquered death and sin and hell and the devil. Now He sins triumphantly. You see it there in verse 34. At His Father's right hand, motivated by love to perpetually seek the good of all who trust Him. What is faith? When all your hopes of getting right with God by your own efforts are just dashed into a million pieces. You've made your resolutions to fix your life and it's never worked. And you're done with it. You're like Josh. You've lived your life trying to be a Christian, but it's just the thing has been distorted and warped the whole time. It's never worked. It's never got you on a path of righteousness. It's never got you with a clear conscience. It's never brought you to a place of peace. All your mechanisms and all your devices have just fallen apart, fallen to the wayside, and fallen over time and time and time again. You've had these hopes, these devices, these schemes, these plans to get to heaven, but you're further from it now than you've ever been. I'll tell you what faith is. It's trusting Christ to be your only help in all that. Only those who so trust Him and those alone are the ones who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's those alone who are inseparably connected with the love of Christ and the love of God. Listen, this is the only place of safety. Nothing shall be able to separate us who trust Christ from the love of Christ. His love's toward us and us alone. And there's wrath.
towards everyone else. This is a reality. Paul looks at this. His chief concern is to know that all is well between himself and his God. There's love there. He's assured of it. He said, basically, you know, let the world do what it may. I'm one of God's people. I'm one of Christ's people. I'm one of the called. I'm inseparably loved by Christ. And nothing else matters. But listen. Christ Almighty? Yes. You know what that means? His love for us lacks no power whatsoever to do us good, protect us. Is Christ all wise? He's all wise. So His love is never going to be misspent. It's never going to be misdirected. It's never going to be used for something that isn't to our greatest advantage. Is Christ in all places at once? He's God. He's omnipresent. That's what that means. He's on all places at once. What does that tell us? Well, it tells me that if you're a Christian, He can love you perfectly and forever where you are and me at the same time where I am. So no matter where we are, His love doesn't leave us. It doesn't forsake us. We know these things. But here's the deal. This omnipotent, protecting, effective, constant love of Christ does not guarantee us that we will be spared from the calamities of life. Rather, this love takes us through. Look, folks. What does he say? Let's really, let's really grasp this. What does he say? What does he say to you when your husband abuses you? What does he say to you when you've got some mass in your lung and you can't figure out what it is and there's a fear it might be cancer? What does he say to you when you're on the mission field and threats are coming against you and you may be killed? What does he say to you when you find out your daughter's pregnant? What does he say to you when the little jeer comes from the person at work or they don't want to be around you? You find yourself eating lunch all by yourself. What does he say to you then? He says, You are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Look, when somebody comes along and they begin questioning whether Christianity really makes a difference in a person's life, when they're confronted by the things and the trials and the difficulties, the calamities, the financial stresses of life, somebody comes along and they wonder, does Christianity really make a difference? The true deal. Not the Benny Hinn garbage. The true deal. The Apostle Paul kind of Christianity. The Christ kind. Doesn't make a difference. Paul does not confront such things. He's not content with merely answering these objections. He ridicules such objections. He goes after them right at the root. 
He smashes them. We are not simply enabled by Christ's love to just barely hold on. That's what you need to see. We feel that way. Oh, don't we feel that way? I have. Lord, I can't hold on any longer. I can't endure this much longer. I'm going to go down. Lord, I feel like quitting. Do you know what He comes along and He says? There's a love of Christ. And you're held by those bonds. You're not going down. And I want you to know this. What Paul's saying to people and to objections. It's not only that God's people just don't go down. It's not that they barely just hold on. Christ doesn't just love us so that we manage not to fall away. We are more than conquerors. There is strength in that expression. The Christian is not a man who manages somehow or another just to barely obtain an entrance into heaven. He's more than conquer. He doesn't just barely stand up to trials. He demolishes them. He smashes the things to bits. The love of Christ causes him to overcome them completely. He not merely conquers them. He is more than conquer. The expression in the original could be rendered more exceeding conquerors. Or as some have said, super conquerors or hyper conquerors. One of the old theologians says over overcomers, over and above conquering. Look, I've never been much of a boxing fan. But I had a friend in high school who certainly was. Back in 1986, there was a fight between Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard. Anybody remember that? And many, even today, believe that it may be, have been one of the best fights of all time. I mean, the two men literally pounded each other for 12 rounds. Back and forth, blow after blow. And you remember, if, you, if any of you ever saw any part of it, Hagler, he was, a, he was a bigger, thicker guy, slower. He was just the in-your-face, pound-on-you kind of guy. Sugar Ray Leonard, he was the light on his feet, lightning quick, come in, jab with a bunch of flurries, dance back out. In the end of that fight, 12 rounds, they, they beat each other. I mean, they... I, I personally have not seen a fight where guys hit each other so much. They both thought they'd won in the end. In a split decision, Leonard was declared the victor. Let me tell you something. This is exactly what does not happen with the Christian. What Paul is saying, if it... If you liken the battle of a Christian life to a fight between two boxers, it would look nothing like the Hagler-Leonard fight where one man barely edged out the other. It would rather look like a boxer who came out and hit his opponent over and over again, landing one solid punch after another, pounding him, pounding him, pounding him. Pounding him! And pounding him! But be careful here. Unless you think I'm making the illustration out that the one doing the pounding is the Christian, you've got it all wrong. It's the enemies that pound us. And they hit us. And they blast us. And they deliver the blows and the circumstances and the trials and the tribulations and the persecutions and the demons, the principalities and the powers and the dominions. One after another after another after another. They hit us and they give us blow 
after another. But the Christian, by the love of Christ, is only made better by each blow. The Christian is like the sword beaten between the hammer and the anvil. Every stroke makes us stronger. Every trial burning away more of the dross, leaving us pure. Every blow working for my good. Every time I am punched, God pours into me grace and strength and more endurance and more patience and more love and more likeness to Christ. So that in the end, when my enemies have expended all their energy and the trials and tribulations have run full course, when the fires have burned and the tempests have raged, we come rising up out of the ashes totally dominant, totally victorious. And the very image of Christ Himself etched upon our very being. I remember one time Don Johnson preaching out of community. He was speaking about the devil. And he said Christians just must be the, this huge frustration to the devil. Because all he does, all of his sinister devices against us. And he says, and you guys all keep coming back here week after week. Worshiping. You just keep going. He gives us blow after blow after blow. And you know what? When we rise out of the ashes, you know what we find? His neck is under our heel. More than conquers. Look, if your children, your heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs of Jesus Christ, provided we suffer with Him. In order! Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. Paul comes to verse 38 and he says, I am sure, I am convinced, I am persuaded that nothing in all this creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Folks, it is interesting to note that Paul puts this in the passive. He says, I'm sure or I'm persuaded. That's a passive verb. Which means he's saying this. I've come through a process of being persuaded by another. My certainty has been given to me by another. That's the true meaning of the phrase. He does not persuade himself. Something else has persuaded him. He's passive. God has set all the evidence of it before Him and He's certain. Now listen to me. Listen to me. If you get in the midst of the trial, you get in the midst of the Christian life, and you're saying, well, I, I just don't know if, if I'm going to make it. After all, I'm so weak and I'm so... I have a tendency to fall into the same thing over and over. And, and there's sin. I just, yes, there's been some victory and I fight it, but look, if that's the way you talk, you haven't been persuaded of anything. The whole point of Paul here is get your eyes off yourself. There is a Christ with the inseparable bonds that holds you. Have you ever thought about it? It's easy to say, death isn't going to separate me. But he doesn't just say that. He says, life won't separate me. Sometimes I want death more than I want life. 
Why? Because as long as I'm alive, I still have the... I still can sin. And I still mess things up and I fail. So maybe some of you look and say, well, I like life. Why would he put that in there? I understand fully why he puts it in there. Because sometimes life is harder than death. You know, whose life was harder? Jim Elliott's? Or his brother's? You say, I don't even know he had a brother. His brother's 84 years old, labored for more than 50 years in South America, planted over 150 churches. You never heard of him. John Seitzman made the prophecy here. Any church ever given itself to planting churches faces the opposition of Satan. And you think of what a man who's planted over 150 has faced in his life. What trials, what temptations, what disappointments. I don't know what his doctrine is. I don't know if he'd plant churches the way that we would. Elliot gets all the glory. I looked on the internet under his brother's name. I found two hits. I typed in Jim Elliott, 185,000. And yet, who's the one that's having to endure? Elliot, he went out, took a spear, in glory! It's over! Brethren, listen to me. Bunyan talked about the enchanted ground in his Pilgrim's Progress. You don't know what that is? Bunyan was a Puritan that lived back in the 1600s. He wrote a book that actually has sold more copies than anything else but the Bible. If you've never read it, it's worth reading. He describes the Christian life by way of an analogy. He creates this whole picture of several people going to the celestial city, which is a picture of Christians going to heaven. There's one place. They were warned about it. Who warned them? No. Was it him? No, it was, the, it was the guys on the delectable mountain. Shepherds. They warned them that they would come to a place called the enchanted ground. God gives His hardworking servants Sleep. The kind of sleep that the Christians experienced on that ground was not a healthy one. It was not a God-given sleep. It was a sleep that was likely to take them to death. We are on enchanted ground. The life we live as Christians in this country is an anomaly. The peace and acceptance that the church of Jesus Christ has, has had in this country for several hundred years now is not the norm in history and it's not the norm in other places now. Brethren, our brothers and sisters are dying. Let me ask you this. How much have you prayed for Trevor Johnson, he's an American. He's one of us. 
Do you think it's likely one of these days we're going to hear one of his children died? I'd say that's very likely. Are we holding that? The writer of Hebrews said concerning those that were imprisoned, we were supposed to carry that burden as though we were there ourselves. Now look, I'm not saying we're in sin because God has given us the prosperity and the protection in this country that we have. But this isn't real life compared to what many others are exposed to and have to live through. Listen to this. Romans 8.36, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Do you guys ever even imagine yourselves that way? Do you see yourselves on one hand to be loved and to be more than conquerors in the midst of trial? But on the other hand, do you see yourselves as sheep to be slaughtered? What would your life look like if every day when you got up and you went out into this world, you viewed yourself as a sheep to be slaughtered? Spurgeon tells a story. Mr. Hawks, taken, chained around the midsection, they chained him at the waist to a pole, to a stake, and he was burned. When his lower body was consumed, his lower body was the onlookers expected to see him fall over the chain. They basically expected to see his body break in half. They expected him to see his body fall over the chain into the fire. But instead, he lifted his flaming hands, each finger spurting fire. He clapped them three times with the shout, none but Christ. None but Christ. That is being more than a conqueror. He looked the fires and he looked death straight in the face. His whole affection was on Christ. There's a place for us to see ourselves as sheep for the slaughter. And to be able to enter in with those that are being slaughtered or have the potential to be. The Roman Catholic Ascanio Caraccioli wrote a letter to one of his superiors describing the execution of 88 Waldensian men put to death for their faith in Christ. You say, what? Roman Catholics putting Christians to death for their faith in Christ? I never heard of such a thing. The Roman Catholic Church is an apostate church. It's not a true deal. It is not for Christ. It is against Him. It is anti-Christ. If that shocks you, it's a reality and you better learn your history. They put together millions, millions of Christians to death. This... Roman Catholic writer says, speaking to his superior, I have now to inform you of the dreadful justice 
which began to be executed on these Lutherans. And they basically called, they called all those that held to the truth either Lutherans or heretics. They were executed early this morning, being the 11th of June, I believe it was the year 1560. He says, to tell you the truth, I cannot compare it to nothing but the slaughter of so many sheep. They were all shut up in one house as in a sheepfold. The executioner went and bringing out one of them, covered his face with a napkin and led him out to a field near the house and causing him to kneel down, cut his throat with a knife. Then taking off the bloody napkin, he walked back to the house and brought out another, whom he put to death after the same manner. In this way, the whole number amounting to 88 men were butchered. I leave you to figure to yourself the lamentable spectacle, for I can scarcely refrain from tears while I write. Nor was there any person after witnessing the execution of one who could stand to look on a second. The meekness Here they are, brethren, more than conquerors. The meekness and patience with which they went to martyrdom and death are incredible. I still, this Roman Catholic writing, I still shudder while I think of the executioner with a bloody knife in his teeth, the dripping napkin in his hand and his arms besmeared with gore, going to the house and taking out one victim after another, just as a butcher does the sheep which he means to kill. And in his letter, Caraccioli specifically mentions the very observable cheerfulness with which a number of these men walked forth to their death. We are lambs for the slaughter. American Christian, you need to wake up. Your big houses and bank accounts will testify against you in that day. Your easy lives and seeking the securities and the ease in this place are a rebuke to you. End to these last five verses. Read them. You live in a dream. The account is given of two God-fearing young men who in 1538 gave their all for Christ. The writer says, when the blinded papists, again Catholics, who most bitterly hated the light of truth, perceived that John and Peter, the name of these two, had received Christian baptism according to the doctrine of Christ as a sign of having buried their former sins and risen with Christ and walking in newness of life, they took these two young lambs. And I took accounts, folks. We're specifically the terminology is used that goes right back to our text in Romans 8. Lambs for the slaughter. Brethren, I have hundreds and thousands of accounts in the books I have at home of the martyrdom of our brothers and sisters, but I was looking specifically for this type of terminology. As two young lambs out of the houses of their parents brought them into a village called Vinderhot, where they most severely imprisoned them in a dungeon. Thus, after a certain time, they were led to the slaughter. Peter, who came forth first to die, casting his eyes up to heaven like Stephen, boldly called out to John, Fight valiantly, my dear brother. 
for I see the heaven open above us. They were together put to death with the sword at Vinderhot. Thus these young branches in the court of the Lord were also devoured by the awful beast which rose up out of the sea, but they had no power over their immortal souls, which escaped from them unto God, where they shall forever live in unspeakable joy. Brethren, this takes nothing but a miracle of grace and God's meekness and patience and cheerfulness. Men can't live their life like this aside from a great work of God. Brothers and sisters, we rest secure in the loving, omnipotent palm of love. But it does not carry us away from the night. It carries us toward it. Now, brother and sister, all I'm saying to you here is give it up. Stop living for this life. You are sheep to be slaughtered. Let go. Let it go. You're not living for this life. You're not living for this world. You're not living for this retirement. You're not living for the stuff. You're not living for your securities. Let it go. We are more than conquerors. Do you know what statements like that are worthy of? Things like C.T. Studd said. He wanted to go start something right at the footsteps of hell. More than conquerors. I mean, just, just ask yourself this. You come face to face with these 88, or Mr. Hawks, or Peter and John. You're in heaven. You say, tell me your story. They say, you know what? We joyfully live as sheep for the slaughter. They came and they took us away. We would not renounce Christ. We believed there was one baptism. And we told them we did not believe men were regenerated by it. Children were not saved and born again by it. We believed it was a symbol alone. It was representative of our death and burial and rising with Christ and newness of life. And we went and we did it because Christ commanded us to. And we walked in His path. He did it and we wanted to follow Him. And it was glory. And we went to that dungeon and we experienced such grace of God. And there was cheerfulness and, and meekness to suffer given to us. We saw His grace. We were tortured. They hung us. I've been reading story after story. They hung them on the racks. There was one machine they called the hell machine. The man they took off that machine went and stood before his persecutors dripping with his own blood. And he would not deny the Lamb of God who went to the slaughter before he did. 
and they butchered him and they quartered his body and cut it into pieces and stuck it on stakes for all to see. And he would not refuse and he would not deny. And here you have these and they tell you their story. And we were slaughtered for his namesake. And it's all glorious and we're more than conquerors. Now please, tell us your story. Well, you know, I worked a lot. I had a big house. I had a lot of stuff in the house that really didn't relate a whole lot to eternity. Um, I saved up a lot for retirement. Um, and and I, I had a massive stroke and I died. Brothers and sisters, our story better not be that in that day. Look, they lived in their day. They lived in their generation. They fought their fights. And they were more than conquerors. But I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, this is our day. And we don't need to be ashamed of what God's given us in this country. He's given it to us. But with that comes a greater responsibility. And I'll tell you what, where they had to be more than conquerors, in the face of persecution and death, you must be more than conquerors with all your wealth and all your stuff and all your ease and all your comforts. And the enchanted ground must not claim you. You must be more than conquerors in the realm of enchantment. And it may be harder. It may be more difficult for us to be those conquerors in this fusion of wealth than for them. I don't know the final chapter will tell us in that day. But if you're a child of God, you will overcome through Him that loved us. And I'm calling you to overcome. Brethren, stay the course. Don't live for this life. Be more than a conqueror. Press on. Your time is short. Don't waste it. God forbid you waste it. Redeem the time. Stop grasping. All the securities. Let them go. Let them go. By God's grace, let them go. Face this world as a sheep, as a lamb to be slaughtered. Let it go, brethren. Let it go. For Christ's sake, die to yourself. Amen. You're dismissed.